Hey everybody, welcome back to the Bottom Dollar Outdoors podcast. My name is Brad, I'm your host, and it has been over a month since I had a new episode out. I want to apologize for everybody. It, it's been a few weeks, kind of took a little bit of a break from podcasting, YouTube, social media, all of it with the election going on, personal things going on, had a change in my work schedule, uh, we're at our peak right now with it being the holidays, so time has been of an issue, I've been doing a little bit of hunting, things like that, I actually I got a nice buck on, uh, what was, it was on election day, so I believe that was the third Got a nice seven point, weighed about 180 pounds, which is pretty good for here in South Carolina. And got the whole deer in the frid in the freezer right now. I froze the whole deer for processing later. I still got to get all that stuff set up. I slacked off before deer season and didn't get all my processing equipment little uh, ready like I should have. But like I said, deer season's been going pretty good. I've for me, especially just to get to one, I have a uh, two freezers full of meat. So this year I've been kind of concentrating on hunting bucks. That buck, he came across the field trailing a doe just a few minutes after daylight. And, and I wasn't there probably 45 minutes total and already had him loaded up and was headed to the processor. But it was this so far. I've got some pictures of some more bucks. I'm going to try to hunt. Um, they're doing some agricultural work here on one of the fields here on the property and i've got to walk through that field to get to where i hunt and what they're doing to it i don't want to kind of don't want to walk through to go into the woods so whenever they get that done and it rains everything kind of evens out i'll be back in the woods hunting hopefully be here in the next couple weeks the last show with mike about uh the bob white quail here in south carolina man that was a good show I thought it was an excellent interview. I really did. Uh, kind of disappointed in the numbers of listeners and downloads for that show. I thought it was going to be one of the the best ones, but I guess not. So since then, I have kind of taken a step back. Wonder if I wanted to continue to do this. If I wanted to try to promote my promote or promote my brand through social media and things like that, and. From what I can see, as far as promoting any kind of business, podcast, YouTube channel, I don't care what you do. If you're trying to promote your business through social media, such as Facebook or Instagram, if you're not paying them to promote your postings and your group or your page, you're not getting anything out of it. And I actually did, for that episode, do a ad with Facebook. I paid about $40 for the ad, ran it for a few days, and got a bunch of clicks and about five downloads. So to me, it was not a very good return on my investment. So with that, I have taken down basically anything to do with the show or the YouTube channel, Bottom Dollar Outdoors in general, off of social media. I may add a private group later on just so the people who do listen can go in there and chat and talk. The way that I had it set up before was it was a business page. And bottom uh, Facebook.com bottom dollar outdoors is no more. And because it was a it was a page as far as like advertising a business, 
that didn't work out very well. People couldn't communicate. They couldn't post. And whenever I posted something, they couldn't see it because it was a page instead of a group. So, if, in other words, one of those things where if you don't promote it, pay Facebook, they're not going to do their, they're not going to even waste their time promoting you if you're not going to pay them for it. So, Facebook.com slash Bottom Dollar Outdoors is no more. Also, I'm not, I've actually done away with my personal page on there as far as my public page. I made another one just for close friends and family so I can keep in touch with them and some of my fraternity brothers out west. Other than that, I am no longer using Facebook except for to communicate with my family and friends. Don't want everybody knowing what I'm doing. It's a lot less stressful. No more politics. I don't have to listen to it unless, you know, somebody in my family wants to talk about it. And then with the lower numbers, I kind of got, kind of had to step back and think, do I want to keep doing the podcast? Do I want to keep doing the YouTube stuff? It takes a lot of time. There's a lot of money involved. A lot of hours doing research, a lot of hours editing, a lot of hours recording. And so I, I had to take a little break. And I've thought about it, and I do want to continue for it. I want to just keep I want to keep doing it. I made a promise whenever I started the podcast that I was going to do 100 episodes. And then, then I would see if we're going to continue it or not. Got a lot of good, positive feedback for the people who do give me feedback. Um, ratings on iTunes, why there's only about 13 of them, all over five stars. So thank you guys for doing that. And if you like the show, please go uh, to uh, Apple Podcast, leave a review. If you're listening on Spotify, please follow me. Uh, those numbers do mean a lot for podcasters. If you're on any show and you like it a lot, I know it takes a few minutes, and usually you're listening to them while you're driving down the road. So you don't think once you get out of the car to go back and, you know, leave a review. But if you got time and you're thinking about it, if you're just sitting in the parking lot, flipping through, trying to figure out what you want to listen to, make sure if on anybody's show that you like, go down there and give them a good rating. Give them an honest rating. They love feedback, positive and negative. It really helps their show, helps them get out, lets other people listen to it also. So not just on my show, but anybody get out there and do that. Yesterday was Thanksgiving. It is now about an hour and a half into Black Friday. Um, there's a lot of good sales out there. I know uh, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's are having their big Black Friday sale. Not sure what they're planning to do for Cyber Monday. But I did want to do a little bit of a product review real quick of something that's actually on sale right now at a couple of places. It's a... It's a good camera. It's a trail camera that I bought earlier this year to try out, see if I liked it. And I have mixed feelings about it so far. But I bought the uh, Moultrie camera. It's the XA6000 cellular trail camera. It runs on the AT&T network. It's one of those cameras where you can put it out there and leave it, and it sends the pictures directly to your cell phone. Uh, you buy a subscription. I think mine, I got the unlimited subscription is $18 a month and it sends all the pictures to your cell phone through an app that you can download you can change your settings on your camera you can adjust like your trigger speed you can adjust several things on it the app is okay if I had to give it a rating of one to five stars I'd give it about a two and a half because it's kind of sloppy not not really well built it's called Moultrie Mobile 
not a big fan of it. Like I said, it's clunky. It's not very smooth. And you got to wait a while to get your pictures. Uh, as far as the camera goes, the camera is actually really well built. Uh, the, like I said, it is a just a regular old trail camera that you put out there. You put it up the same way you hang it on a tree. It actually it claims to have a, a 16 megapixel resolution on it. Um, I don't know. I've seen a lot of uh, smaller cameras with some older technology take a way better picture than this thing does. That's one of the downfalls of the camera. This other downfall is having cell service. If you want to take this thing and put it down in the bottom somewhere, it really doesn't get the best cell phone signal. It doesn't have an external antenna. Uh, I usually average about 50 to 60% signal, no matter where I put it. Could be where I'm at out here in the country. You know, I mean, my cell phone runs on the same network, and right now I've got 5G, and the camera's only a couple hundred yards away, and it's only running at 50% on 4G. So doesn't get the best signal, but I think that's just because of what it is. It's not actually a cell phone. And it has a pretty thick uh, casing on it, too, which is waterproof, which is nice. It does take It does take videos. This is another downfall of it, though is with the app, one thing I've noticed is, I didn't know it at first when I'd done it, but I was getting some pictures of some bucks coming in at night, but it was just, they were moving through the picture, so it doesn't have a very fast uh, uh, shutter speed. You get a lot of blurry pictures if anything's moving, so the the shutter speed on it is really slow, which causes a lot of blurry pictures, especially at night whenever you're using the infrared on it, so it does have a night vision mode, it uh, yeah, it doesn't get the best nighttime pictures. Daytime pictures are okay, but for a 16 megapixel camera, I thought it would be better. Another thing that it does is whenever you get your pictures, whenever you whenever something does walk by, it does take a picture. It does send a picture to the app. Well, when you get that picture, it's not in full resolution. It sends you kind of a downgraded, maybe like a. 480p picture or something with a lot less uh, resolution to it. Then you have to go in and request that it sends you the higher resolution picture. And that ta- and then so it sends the, uh, the request to the camera. Then you have to wait until it takes another picture of something else to send that to you. So once it reconnects to the network after it takes a picture, it sends you those pictures then it sends you the high resolution pictures that you requested. And then you got to go back and request the high resolution pictures of the pictures that it just took. So it, it can be kind of annoying. And it does have a really good trigger on it and a good distance. I mean, it says that it has a trigger distance of 80 feet, which is great. But at 80 feet, this thing does not take good pictures. I'm going to be straight out honest with you. It does not take good pictures past about. 25 to 30 feet anything past that you're not going to be able to tell what's going on i had a buck that came into the frame he looks like a nice buck but at he was probably towards the end of that 80 feet range i really couldn't tell much about it i couldn't count the points i couldn't see anything other than the fact that he had a rack and it looked decent on the picture and he was sitting still. He wasn't moving around. I actually got three pictures of him. All three of them are the same. Can't really tell much about him. You're trying to zoom in. It pixelates really bad. And that is with the 
that is in that is with the high resolution photo. Well, going back to the video issue is that one thing I didn't know, I kept seeing this buck come through and I was like, well, let me try to take some video of this deer. So I, I think it was a Friday. I turned on the video, turned, went into the app where you can change the settings. And I changed it to video. Well, I changed it to video and I waited. Saturday came by, no pictures. Okay. Well, there's a squirrel that lives in a tree somewhere right there by my camera. And so I've got about a thousand photos of this squirrel running around, jumping up and down on stumps. I didn't even get those, which kind of, I don't know what's going on here. So I went back and I looked and didn't have, went actually into the app and made it refresh. No videos. Well, actually I went and got the user's manual, went through it, fine print says videos are not sent to your, to the app. So there's no telling what I have on the camera. Like I said, I don't want to walk across that field right now because of the chemical they put on it to go over there to get the camera. So I have no idea what's on the camera as far as video goes. Might be surprised. Um, I may brave it, put on some rubber boots and go tomorrow to go get it and take a look, see what's on there. But that's another downfall. If you do put it in video mode, you will have to go check it just like any other camera, which kind of negates the purpose of having a cellular camera, in my opinion. Another downfall of this thing is that, man, it takes a lot of batteries. I mean, it, the batteries seem to last a while. I've had it up now for almost a month. It's down to 75%. It says on their site that the battery life is around three months. That seems to be about right. And I'm using cheap dollar store, uh, dollar general brand AA batteries. It takes 12 of these things. I buy them in bulk packs because I have about eight cameras that I run. But so far, it's it does take a lot of pictures. Or it takes a little bit more battery than what I like. But like I said, to run a modem, has a cell phone uh, modem in it and run the camera run the flash or the infrared, it seems to be holding up pretty well to batteries. So that is a good positive. It does take a lot of batteries, but they do last a long time, it seems like. Uh, the flash range on it is about 70 feet at night. So with the infrared, I have seen that it does, the infrared goes out just about as far as what the detection range is. So it is it, getting some, it's got some, I got mixed feelings about this thing. For what it does, and for the price, it's kind of what you expect. This camera usually runs about $120. And for a cellular camera, that's about that's about as cheap as you're going to get. And right now, with it being Black Friday, I actually found a sale on it today, which may not help you now because I don't know when you're going to listen to this. But actually, Tractor Supply has it for about the best price right now. Tractor Supply has a sale on it for $79.99. Like I said, for what it is, that's a good price. I'm going to actually this week pick up a spy points version of their cellular telephone or sorry, cellular uh, camera. I'm going to compare it to this one to see if it's a better deal. It actually has a solar panel built into it. It's a little bit more expensive, runs about $40 higher with the, uh, the solar panel on it, or you can just run it on normal batteries, which is probably what I would get. For what we have left, there's only a, a month left in the deer season. So I'll probably pick it up just to test it out, see if I like it better. But like I said, for $79.99 for what it does, it can help you get into the woods for a decent price point. 
But like I said, expect it for it to be a cheaper version of the camera. I have a camera here. It is actually right here. It's a Wild Game Innovations camera. We've had this camera for probably about six years now. For a camera to be six years old, you would think that it would be behind and, you know, be way behind this camera. I mean, this is just your standard camera. It's a 10 megapixel camera, has infrared flash. And just from what I've seen, as far as the pictures that I've had from it and the pictures from this new Moultrie camera, it has a better camera sensor, which is a big thing with cameras. I don't know if, if you guys are not familiar with cameras. Your sensor, it could be a 10 megapixel sensor, or it could be a 24 megapixel sensor. But it depends on who makes that sensor. If you buy a cheap one that's, you know, just some cheap Chinese brand sensor that's 24 megapixels, you may get one that has a Sony sensor in it that's only 10, and you're going to get better pictures out of the Canon or the, the Sony sensor at 10 megapixels. It has a lot better, seems to have a lot better trigger speed, and it takes a lot better pictures even though it doesn't quite reach out as far as they were. This one has a, the Moultrie has a 50 megapixel. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, at 80 foot detection range. This one may only have a 50 foot detection range. So you're not going to get quite as far as distance. But like I said earlier, once you get out to those ranges with these types of cameras, since they don't have a zoom feature in them, you're not going to get the best quality picture because you can't zoom in and focus on what's at that range. It doesn't have the capability of changing the focus in the camera at that range. So it's going to kind of got to take what it is. It's not a, it's not a professional level camera. So we'll try this. Uh, we'll try the spy point coming up later this year. And that, if I say, if I had to give, like I said, I had to give it a five star uh, rating, it would be uh, about a two and a half out of five. And that seems to be what, people are saying online so i fall right into the line with that but it does have its its perks like i said you can set it out there in the woods like i said low price point it's got a very good affordable plan 18 dollars a month you unload unlimited pictures now it runs on a 4g network so it does take good pitch uh it does have a good network runs on at&t you can also buy the um xv 6,000, which runs on the Verizon network. So depending on which one works better around you for the same price. Would I recommend this camera to just anyone, you know, for the price point, I would probably step it up to the $250 range if I really wanted to get good, clear pictures. So somebody who don't have a lot of money who wants to buy a cellular camera, it does its job. You can set the camera where you want it. It will take pictures. You don't have to go in there and disturb the area anymore until the batteries run out or the something happens with the camera. You just want to move it. Or if you like me and you want to take video, and now i got to go in there to where I know these bucks are at. They're using this area. Now I've got to go in there again and take the card out, download it to a camera, and put it back in. So... Hopefully this weekend, whenever I get out there to go hunting, I'll just go out there, swap out the cards, bring the card back to the house and check it. 
that's a that's the quick product review on that. Like I said, if I was gonna give it a rating, two and a half stars, would I recommend it? Eh, it is what it is. If you want the price point, I'm pretty at ninety nine or seventy nine dollars. Get it, but be just be prepared that it's not gonna take the best pictures at a long distance. Like I said, within thirty feet, it takes great pictures. But that's because it's made to focus within that area. Once you get out past that, you're gonna get really grainy photos and be squinting by man, that looks like a good deer. I don't know what it is. That's the review on the Moultrie camera there. Hopefully, they'll update some firmware stuff on it and make it a little better. It's a fairly new product for them. And so we'll see here next year what they come out with as far as updating that camera software. Again, like I said, it is the day after Thanksgiving. And I did have some questions on the website. I actually, an email came to me. You know, I talk a lot about things that I'm doing, and I, the uh, person who was listening to this, the person who sent me this email, I guess he was listening to the, the technology review or the, the gear review that I'd done at the beginning of the season, and he was wanting to get into hunting. And so I kind of sat down and thought about some what people around here need to do to get into hunting. I know you, there's a lot of podcasts out there that are based on you know, Western hunting, public land hunting, those types of things, which I love to do. I love public land hunting. Don't get to do a whole lot of it here. There's not a lot of public land in my area. But when you get out West, there's a whole different ball game out there. I mean, that's a whole different style of hunting. You really need to go with people, and it takes a lot of time to learn that style of hunting. Here, what I would say... For people to do, I have a whole nother outlook on it, and it's not as hard to here in South Carolina to get into hunting here, especially in the southeast. The way that we hunt and the way that the land is here is pretty you know small chunks. It's not as hard here to get into it, but you know whenever you're young or you're new to something, it's very daunting. A lot of things going through your mind about prepared, anything like this, so. It's very intimidating to start a new adventure, especially something like hunting that's so controversial. It's a, there's a lot of kind of there's a good bit of money's got to be put up front, and a lot of time you got to put into it to learn it. But before I dive into it, I'm just going to make a couple of assumptions about the person who wants to get into it. This gentleman, he was prior military, just got out of the service, and I thanked him for his service, and he wanted to get into hunting. So I knew from there that, you know, he had some firearms experience. He had shot a gun, had been to the range. He kind of, he had, knows his way around safety and firearms. So I took that into consideration with him. Not everybody's like that. So that's the number one thing you got to do if you are new to hunting is know your weapon. Um, like I said, this is going to be just a brief overview of this. I'm not going to dive into every little step, but be just be very familiar with your weapon. Be proficient in it. Practice, practice, practice. Whether you're bow hunting, hunting with a rifle, throwing spears, whatever you want to do with it, but make sure that you're proficient with it. So I'm making these basic assumptions that you already have a hunting license, you know the laws, you already taken your hunter safety course, and you're ready to go. The next thing you need to do, if you've never been hunting, 
and you can do this before you go get your hunting license, is go with somebody. Just say, hey, man, can I go sit in the stand with you? I want to learn. I don't have a gun. Never killed a deer. I just want to go. Well, the first thing you got to do is go buy a hunt or buy a hunting license. Uh, really, you don't really have to have one if you're just going with somebody, as long as you're not going to be physically killing the deer or <laughs> taking part in that part. You can go and sit in the woods all day long. So before you go and spend all the money, just go with somebody. Go sit with them in the stand and watch. Learn from them. But once you decide you want to go hunting with them, go take your hunter safety course, get your hunting license. And you can learn a lot from, you know, just a, you know, they don't have to be a professional hunter. It could just be your your buddy, uh, a neighbor, a local farmer, anybody who hunts and is willing to take you, go sit with them, make sure you have, you know, some warm clothes, and they'll they'll probably tell you what you need to do, what you need to bring, and if they don't, make sure you ask them. At the basic equipment that you're going to need, you know, you're going to need weather-correct clothing. You're going to need a parka, you're going to need your pants, dress for the weather, layer up, and you can you can learn all this stuff online. Uh, actually, there's a lot of the magazines are the best place to go for this. Go and search through you know, your Eastman's journals, go all your magazines you can go on and kind of look at the past is, or issues, look up clothing. That's a you can look in there and they tell you how to layer, how to dress for what, what to buy, what not to buy. You don't have to buy the most expensive clothes. If you're just starting out or you want to go with somebody, you don't even have to wear camouflage. Just make sure that you wear neutral colors that match the environment. You don't have to go out and spend $500 on an outfit. But if you want to, you got the money, by all means do it. Another thing that you're going to need to do is learn your scent management. So do pick up some scent-free body wash, some scent-free deodorant, some scent uh, scent killer stuff to wash those clothes with, and some spray, some field spray. Make sure you have the right footwear, um, what I would recommend in just about any situation is a good pair of rubber boots and some wool socks. Rubber boots are going to help you keep down your scent. They're easy to spray off with scent killer or whatever brand you want to use. Spray that on those boots. And most of them are made of neoprene, so they're going to be pretty warm anyway. If it's going to be really cold, you can get uh, foot warmer packs put in there. But a good pair of wool or synthetic socks will really help with that. Make sure you bring you know, stuff to keep you warm because if you're not warm, if you're not comfortable, you'll be moving around and that's not going to help out you or the person that you're there with. They're going to probably, if you're sitting there fidgeting around, they're not going to want to take you again because you're basically, you're, and they know that you're learning, but you're still, you're messing up the hunt by sitting there and you're cold and you're shaking. If you're shaking because you just seen a big buck, that's a whole different story. But if you're cold, you're moving around, if it's early season, another thing, uh, buy you a thermosail, 20 bucks, take it with you, get the unscented pads. Same thing as with movement. If you're sitting there and you've got mosquitoes flying around your head, buzzing in your ears, landing on you, biting you, you're going to be moving, trying to get them off of you. Again, it's another way to ruin your hunt. But if you're, if you're going, once you get past the going with somebody else, and you've already learned your scent management, how to walk through the woods with someone, 
you have that down, you have some clothing, you want to you want to pick up a few other things. And say you already have your hunting license, you already have your gun, you're proficient with it. A few like little knickknacks that I would pick up just when starting, I would get a good grunt call and watch YouTube and the videos that come with the grunt call. Learn how to use it. It can it can come in handy. I love to use mine. Uh, a range finder, a cheap range. I mentioned a lot of these in the episode as far as the hunting technology goes. Made the recommendations of the ones that I like. So you can go back and listen to that. But the halos, kind of the bottom of the bottom line is where I would go with that. Just pick up one that's, if you're going to be hunting within 600 yards, you can get one of those 650-yard range style. Good to go. Learn how to use it. Um, another good thing that I would make sure I had is a good knife. I like to carry a multi-tool and a good skinning knife for field dressing. I carry a Leatherman multi-tool, and I have an outdoor edge flipping zip. I carry both of those with me while I'm hunting. That way I'm prepared for whatever. I need to fix something in the woods. I got my Leatherman. I shoot a deer. I need to field dress it. I've got a good knife right there to do it with. Now, as far as, you know, you got your little creature comfort stuff, like a, a butt pad, like if you buy one of these stands, uh, like a metal stand from Walmart. Some of them come with a seat pad. Some don't. You don't want to be sitting on a metal deer stand for three or four hours. Get you a butt pad. You can even buy them that you can uh, put uh, like hand warmers in, keep your butt warm, whatever. And butt might not be even warm, but make sure it's comfortable. Because if you're sitting there, you're hurting, you're rocking from side to side. There again, you're moving. And when you're moving side to side, you're not just moving you, you're moving the stand, possibly moving the tree. And everything in the woods is going to see that. So make sure that you're comfortable. I guess that's like when you're being trying to get warm, trying to get the bugs off of you. If you're moving around, you're uncomfortable. Man, it just really, it can mess up a hunt in a heartbeat. And one thing I always preach, whenever you're in the woods and you, you're hunting, get a good headlamp and a good flashlight. Uh, you can get one of those small mini mag, uh, mag lights to carry with you in your pocket or in your pack. But make sure you have a headlamp. And you can get one that has all the different colors, whatever, just make sure you have a headlamp because that's going to come in more handy than just about anything except for your gun. When you're going in in the mornings, you're going to need it. And so you do kill a deer in the afternoon, trying to find it. You've got a gun in one hand, a flashlight in the other, and you're trying to look, you're trying to get your phone, take pictures of where the blood trail is. It's almost impossible. You need your hands free. Get a good headlamp. So that's the... One of the most useful things that I could tell you to buy. But once you have those basic things, you got your you know, little grunt call with binoculars or rangefinder, good knives, your, your butt pad or, you know, whatever you need to make yourself comfortable, whether it be hand warmers, anything like that. Make sure you have, once you have these things, you can just about go hunting. Uh, especially here, like I said, you're going in the woods. You really don't need a whole lot here because you're going straight out to a deer stand usually and sitting down. As long as you have those things, you pretty much can hunt. Also, make sure you bring your ammunition in the woods or the magazine for your gun. You go, I have done this twice. I go on a trip to go somewhere to go hunting, get to where I'm going. I got so excited and packing for the trip. I completely left all my ammunition sitting on the kitchen table. So 
don't do what I did. Make sure you take that kind of stuff with you. Because it can be very embarrassing. You get all the way down there, and then you got to run to Walmart or wherever and get ammunition. And right now, <laughs> good luck on finding ammo. If you're going having to go to like Walmart or you know anywhere like that to get it, good luck. Because I went two days ago. They didn't have anything but like target shotgun loads, and they were running scarce on those. So if you're uh, looking for ammunition right now, good luck if you see any. 350 Legend ammunition or 7mm short mag ammunition anywhere in upstate, let me know because I need some. Uh, and another another thing that came up when I was chatting with this gentleman, and the first thing he asked me was, where do you find deer? He's like, if somebody lets me hunt their property, where's the first place you go to help find them? I told him, I was like, find water. Deer have to have shelter, food, and water. If you can find water, and see where they're coming to water, that's where I would start. Then I would maybe find a food source, whether you got acorns, fallen, you have a agricultural field. If you can find water and food, you're doing pretty good. Uh, you don't have to buy a big old fancy $500 climber or a big box or a ground blind, anything like that. You can buy a $99 deer stand from Walmart or Bass Pro Shops, wherever, stick it in a tree. Or how I, one of the ways I like to hunt is that I find an area that I haven't hunted before. I don't know how many deer are there. Before I invest that time and energy into putting up stands, I go in there with my knife and I make a ground blind. I go in there, I cut down some small cedars, stick them in the ground, make a circle, kind of like you would do during if anybody watches turkey hunting. Sit down behind some bushes, make sure the wind's blowing the right direction from where you're going to be facing sit there on the ground and watch you got to be really still when you're hunting on the ground you don't have a lot less uh error there because you're in there you're in a deer's line of sight when you're sitting on the ground instead of being above it as long as you can sit still and observe i would do that before i went and put a bunch of money into an area that i haven't hunted before if i don't know if there's a lot of deer there so just go in there sit, uh, make you a little blind get behind some bushes, and sit there and wait and observe what's going on around you. Yeah, finding deer, if you can find some deer signs, some deer tracks, and if usually if you can find deer tracks, you know there's deer there. It's just figured out when they're going to come out. And another thing he came up, he's like, well, I'm just learning. He's like, a lot of people tell me not to shoot big, small deer because, you know, they're trying to build a deer herd and all that stuff. And I told the guys, like, if you're just learning to hunt, shoot what you want to shoot. You need that. You need the trigger time. You need to be able to sit there and it's basically it is. I hate to put practicing on a live animal, but you have to experience what's going on. So if you if you're hunting your first year and all you see is a and you see a six point or your three by three, depending on where you're at, what you want to call it, you see that deer and you've got room for the meat. And as your first buck, you want to shoot that deer, shoot it. That's up to you. You're the one who pays for your hunting license. You're the one who's put all this work in. Shoot whatever you want to shoot and put in your freezer. That is your that is your right as a hunter to make that decision. As long as it's a legal deer to kill, do it. 
somebody may give you some shit about it. Somebody may, oh, you should have waited and shot a bigger buck. You, you know, you could have waited. Yeah, you could have, but then you never mind not ever see another deer that year. So if you want to shoot that deer, shoot it. That's it's your deer. Do what you feel is right. Because it's going to eat just the same. Don't worry about what other people are telling you to do in that respect or making fun of you or, you know, if you put it on Facebook, oh, it's such a baby. The hell with those people. Do what you feel right doing. And that way you can get that feeling because I guarantee I don't care if it's your first buck or even your first doe and you shoot that deer, you're going to experience what happens afterwards for your first, I don't care if, you know, I still get it when I kill smaller deer. That that feeling of the adrenaline and everything, you're gonna experience that. And it's it's kind of a daunting thing. I mean, it's it kind of messes with your mind a little bit. So you really have to get used to that. You know, whenever you shoot a deer, like I say right here, I gotta write down what to do after the shot. And the first thing you need to do after you pull that trigger is get is to look. Don't take your eyes off the animal. Try to keep the scope on them if you can with recoil. Sometimes you can't do that. So make sure if you get your eyes back on the deer and watch, see if you can see where they're going. That's going to help you out a lot after the shot. And if you're hunting a big field, one thing I would try to do before I pulled the trigger on this deer, I have done this many, many times in a big field, hunting over a big open area. Even though I kind of have an idea of how far I'm shooting, just based on the size of the deer and the scope, in an open area, it's very hard to judge what exactly where a deer is standing in an open field. So do your best before you pull that trigger to make a landmark. Let's say there's a terrace going across a field, or there's some weird bush out there. Try to judge where that deer is compared to that landmark. Because that it's going to make it a lot easier on you if that deer runs. It's going to make it a lot easier on you about starting to find where the deer was standing so you can start your tracking. And like I said, I have done this many times where I shot a deer in a field in a hurry, deer's moving, or I just got over anxious and just shot and get down there and the deer didn't just fall down, but it ran into the woods and have no idea where the deer was standing to actually start your blood trail. So you're out there and you're wasting time walking around this field looking for where you shot the deer at. You're looking, you know, looking for your hair and blood. So make sure you try to do a landmark before you pull the trigger. I guess I still work on that every time I go. So <clears throat> what do you do at whenever you shoot it and it runs off, man? The first thing you're gonna do is like I said Hopefully you have a landmark. Give yourself time to calm down. You shoot a deer. You've done all this work. You finally shot a deer, man. You're going to be excited. You're going to be be shaking. You know, buck fever, whatever you want to call it. Man, give yourself a minute to calm down. If you shot that deer and it's run off, it's either going to either go, if you got a bad shot on it, it's going to go lay down. In my runaways, but it's going to go lay down. Or if you shot it and it ran right in the edge of the wood and died, it's dead. It ain't going anywhere. 
give yourself some time to compose yourself before you go down there because you're going to go down there, your mind's going to be racing. You've got to calm down and then so you can refocus on, okay, well, that deer was standing here. It moved, uh, it was standing right kind of to the left, of that bush kind of behind it. So I got an area where, so you got to be able to think of these things before you go down there, before you get out of the stand, gather yourself, gather your composure. If you have somebody you're hunting with, you know, shoot them a text message. Hey, shot a deer. I'm giving it a minute. I'm going to go start looking. Hopefully it falls where you shoot it. I wish every deer I ever shot fell right where I shot it at, but that's not the, that's not the way these things work. I've shot deer that I thought I nailed them. I've shot them. They laid there on the, they laid in the dirt for three or four minutes and then get up and run off. And probably one of the biggest bucks I've shot and known I've hit. I shot him. He hit the ground and laid there. And I made a very bad, a very big mistake. He was about 300 yards away. I shot him. He hit the ground like a sack of bricks. All I did was I put the safety back on my gun. I set it down. That was one. Of the, that was my mistake in that. When you pull the trigger, and you see the deer go down, and he's sitting there, make sure you load another round and put your safety back on. Because what happened with this deer is he laid there, and I set the gun down and went to go get my keys out, and I looked, and I seen him stand up. And start to put. I shot him in the shoulder. He was he he couldn't stand up on his front legs. He was pushing his face through the dirt. And I tried to get the gun up, and I got the safety off. I put it up there, got it on his, got it on him again, and pulled the trigger and click. I never loaded another round. That deer, I don't know how he ran as far as he did. I ran into him again about half a mile away. I jumped him. And I've never seen him again. I don't know how this deer lost that much blood and got away. So these deer are tough when they're injured. Like I said, I lost that deer because I made the mistake of not loading another round. Didn't gather my composure and do it the right way. So make sure you do those things. That kill that was on that was on Halloween Day of 2017. I will never forget that day because it was possibly the biggest buck I've ever shot. And we'll get into tracking deer. We'll get into that in another episode. I'll actually bring in somebody who's a lot better at it than I am. I'm pretty good at it. Finding blood and tracking deer. But I'll I'll get somebody in here who, if I can get a hold of him, and he's a lot better at it. And he can, it's almost like he's almost as good as a dog. He can smell them and follow the blood trail. It's crazy. Um, after you, And again, after you hear... After you pull the trigger, like I said, yeah, I know it's a emotional situation. And another reason that you've got to get over that and you've actually got to get there and hunt and shoot deer is to do what you do right after shot. Like I said, you want to make sure that you try to follow them with your eyes. But another thing you want to do is listen. Because once that deer runs out of your range, you can usually hear them still running through the woods or you can hear them fall. You can hear them sometimes they make noise uh vocal noises but usually you hear them fall and crash they usually when they hit the ground they make a lot of noise and they'll kick and they'll throw throw dirt around so usually you can still hear that so make sure you're concentrating after trying to and that's after the shot and over time that gets easier to do usually the first couple times you're just 
so amped up you forget about it. You're texting people and you forget to do those kind of things. Okay, so when after you kill your deer or you get on the trail, you go to it and you see it. You finally see your deer laying there on the ground. What do I do then? Well, you're going to approach it safely. Another hunter will probably be easier to tell you about. How to do this is easier to watch. But when you approach a deer that's injured or down, you think he's dead, stand off from him. Don't go running up there to him trying to grab him because that can get you killed. A buck can be laying there not moving. You go over and touch him, and it can get ugly really quick. So approach slowly. If you Once you see him, don't go run up to him. Sit there and watch. Get close enough to where you're safe distance away, but you can really observe the deer. Get up there and watch. See if you can see it breathing. See if you can see it still bleeding. See if, you can, if it's making any kind of noise, if it's moving, if it's still kind of jerking from um, what I call, you know, the death twitches after you shoot one, nerves are still firing off, moving. Give it time to quit where it's completely moving. You don't you don't see it breathing anything like that. You don't hear any noises. No more gurgling. No more breathing. Um, another thing you can look for is if it's cold outside. If you see steam puffing from either the the bullet cavity or from the deer's nose, mouth, those areas. If you can still see puffs of steam or water vapor coming out of there, don't approach it quite yet. If it's still in thralls of death, if it's still trying to get up and run away, at that point, always shoot it again, put it out of its misery. But if it's still just laying there, you don't know, don't approach it very quickly without really observing what's going on. So once you kind of got a good idea that it's the deer's down, make sure again, make sure your weapon is loaded at this time. If you didn't, if you're like me and you didn't do it, make sure it's loaded now because things can happen very quickly in that kind of close contact with a deer. I've never had one jump up on me. Uh, knock on wood, hasn't happened yet. I think it happens to about everybody eventually. But don't approach the deer from the front at first, especially a buck. Kind of walk up behind it from its rear end, from its back, and, you know, get Close enough to where you can observe it even more. Keep watching. Poke it in the back with the gun. Poke it somewhere uh, on the butt, whatever. And make sure you, you're ready to fire if you need to. If you do that, deer doesn't move. Kind of start to walk around. Like I said, don't get right in front of it or right above. If it's a buck, don't get, don't get near its rack. In other words, don't walk up to the back of its head. Walk around the front where its belly is. Uh, go up to it from that direction. Keep observing. And one thing I've always done is take a long stick or the gun barrel and poke it in the eye. I mean, literally poke it in the eyeball. If it's dead, it, if it if it's dead, it's not gonna blink. Uh, I always poke it to make complete sure that it's dead. And then from there, you can make your decision what you're gonna do next. And next question is gonna be: What do I do? Do I field dress it? Or do I just drag it back to where I can get to it in my truck? Well, the things you got to look for in that situation is, one, how big is the deer? Two, how far am I going to have to drag this thing? And three, what is my physical capability of doing this? The landscape that you're in, 
your physical ability as far as if you're in shape enough to drag a 200-pound buck around up a hill, down a hill, across a creek, and back to a field, that's up to you. But you got to think about those things. Me, I I try to field dress if I've got to drag a deer. One, it's easier. It's just easier on me, and makes it a lot easier as far as get, especially if it's warm out, it gets the deer cooled off. But that's beside the point. It's all about your physical capability of getting a deer out of the woods. You're by yourself. Do you want to hurt yourself? You can get all gun coming. Your adrenaline's running. You know, you got all this extra energy. You're trying to drag a 200-pound piece of dead weight through the woods. You get somewhere, it fall, or you trip, you fall, going down a hill, it rolls over on you. You're stuck there. You hardly can't get that thing off of you. So think about that and where you're at before you decide just to drag this intact deer out of the woods. And personally, I like to field dress right there in the woods. It don't take just a couple minutes to do it. Just get it done. Uh, the temperature, like I said, the temperature outside does make a difference. Let's say if you have if you made a bad shot and you had to go find this deer, it's been laying in the woods and it's hot. Go ahead and field dress it to get get all that heat that's trapped inside that body. Get it out. Get all the you know the guts and everything out. Get them on the ground. That's going to help cool that meat off on the inside and keep it from spoiling. Uh, think about how long it's going to take you to get it back to the vehicle and then from get it in the vehicle into a processor. If it's an early season hunt, one thing I'm going to do, for I'm going to get it in the truck. The first thing I'm doing is I'm going to get ice. I'm going to go get bags of ice, stuff in that cavity on my way to the processor. Luckily, the processor here, for me, I've got two within 15 minutes of me. Most time I don't have to worry about it, but if say if I'm hunting on another piece of property with somewhere else, yeah, stop and get ice, pack that cavity if you're going to be taking a long ride, and that helps keep the meat from spoiling. There's a lot of videos online as far as how to field dress deer, so I'm not going to go into that at all about how to do that. Watch some videos online. If I get to kill a deer and I have my cameras with me, I will make a video on that and put it on YouTube. It's a good, uh, good idea. And right now, it's like I said, here in South Carolina, it's, uh, Thanksgiving was yesterday. That means that small game season has just started. If you want to get into deer hunting right now, I'd wait till next year. I would go with some people right now and learn from them, but I wouldn't just go buy a gun, get my hunting license, and all that stuff right now and just start. I mean, it's kind of... It's kind of rushing it. So right now, with it being the time of year that it is, I would start with small game to get my practice in, get my time in the woods. Start with squirrel hunting. Squirrel hunting is one of the best ways to teach yourself how to walk through the woods, how to take your time, how to position yourself correctly for a shot, and learning sign. Uh, If you... The one to look for, I mean, you have to look for signs of squirrels and where they're at, just like you do with any other deer, so or with any other animal you're going to be hunting. And squirrels are very sensitive to movement and sound. If they hear you coming, they see you coming, they're gone. So you need to make sure that you're in the woods, and that's a good way to practice is to spend time in the woods hunting small game. 
get out there and just creep through the woods real slow. And you'll be surprised what you see when you're doing that. I see when I'm hunting squirrel after deer season, I see more deer while I'm squirrel hunting than I do during deer season. It's the same thing whenever you're deer hunting, you see more squirrels than you do whenever you're squirrel hunting. So you'll see turkey. I mean, you'll sneak up on stuff and get a lot closer than you thought whenever you're easing through the woods real slow hunting for squirrels. And it teaches you, like I said, it teaches you a lot about the woods. So if I was going to start hunting this year, I would start with squirrels and small game and just get out in the woods and you learn your equipment. You, you know, just learn those small things that you need to learn. That's going to make you a better deer hunter next year. And like I said, the number one thing to learn with squirrel hunting is movement control and how to walk through the woods quietly. And I know we're we're running on about an hour here on the show, but one of the things that I that the next part uh, could make a whole another segment or another show on this, but we're gonna go through one thing real quick. This was the last question that he asked me. He said, "Whenever I kill a deer, and I get it in the truck, and I want to go to the processor, he's like, what do I do? He's like, I don't know what I want.'" And you're like, I'm not sure. It's like, if it's a big buck, what do I do with it? You know, you take it, when you take it to a processor, if you're not going to do it yourself, I mean, a lot of people here in my area, we take them to deer processors. Me personally, now I have all the equipment to do mine. Like I mentioned earlier, I didn't have all mine set up right yet, but that's my fault. But if you take one to a processor, what are you going to do with it? If you've killed a buck, and you do want to have it mounted, you got to make a decision whether you want a European mount or a full shoulder mount, like you would typically see a taxidermist-style done deer. you got to decide which one you want to do there. Well, if once you make that decision and you get to the processor, the processor is going to be your your guide in this. If they know what they're doing and they've got, you know, if it's just some random dude over there that they hired to gut and skin, He's really not going to be able to help you too much as far as making your decision unless he's been doing it a while. But talk to somebody who's been there. Most of your local guys, especially here, have been doing it a long time. Be like, hey, I'm new. Not sure what I want. I do want to get him mounted. If you want to do a European mount, all they got to do is lop the head off and take it to the taxidermist. But if you want to get it full mounted or a shoulder mount, they have to you got to let them know that so they can skin it properly and cape it out. So that way your taxidermist has a good piece of skin to work with later on. So, you know, you just got to kind of make that decision when you get there. If you want to get it mounted, choose to do a European mount, which is my favorite. A lot cheaper, and I like the way it looks, other than having basically a deer, he rammed his head through my wall looking at me. I'm looking at one right now. It's the first actual buck that I ever shot. He's sitting here looking at me right now from above my fireplace. <laughs> But I like the European mount. I like the way it looks. It just, to me, it feels more natural. But that's up to you. Whichever one you like, just let your processor know before they start skinning it if you want it caped out. Usually costs a little bit extra because it's a little bit harder of a way to skin a deer than actually, you know, just skinning them to process them. Um, if you, a lot of people that process their own deer, don't hang their deer. They don't age their deer. When you take it to a processor, they're going to hang it usually for three to seven days before they get to cutting it. Uh, 
they will, like I said, the, the processor needs to be your guide. Whoever there you take it to and you're new, make sure that they know that because you're not going to really, they're going to ask you. They're either going to do one or two, they're going to ask you how you want your meat cut. Or they're going to hand you just to hand you a slip of paper to say, fill this out. You're going to put all your information on it and it's going to have check boxes of different types of cuts that you want. If you haven't ever had one process before, you're really not going to know what you want. Talk to that processor. He's going to, he'll, and he'll recommend, you know, what he has, you know, usually have like a, what they would call just like a basic cut package. In other words, you're going to get your uh, cube steak, get a couple of steaks, your back strap, and a bunch of ground up deer meat. And maybe some stew meat and a shoulder or a roast out of it, maybe. And he can go through and tell you what he can do and, you know, what his, and they like to, they like for people to ask him that because they might recommend something that he wants to try or he wants to try that you might like. Um, I know I actually, my processor, he started doing deer chops, which is basically like a pork chop, but it's deer meat. It's wonderful. It's one of my favorite cuts now. It's got a piece of tenderloin on each side of or a piece of backstrap on each side of it. It's a really good cut of meat. I would have never known that if he would have mentioned it to me in conversation that he started doing them. But they do. They then they have special cuts that they can do. They can do. Um, they can do like a rack of ribs, like a like a. If you ever seen a rack of lamb, you can do that with a deer. Uh, it's basically the same cuts you can do on a lamb or a deer. These are very similar. Uh, but your your processor is going to be your guide. He's going to recommend what what he what he would do with your deer. So make sure you talk to them. Just don't drop it off and say, I don't know what to do with it. Here's my money. Talk to him. Get some input on it. And after you build a rapport with this person, you've been going to him for a while, especially with the, the man I go to, he actually taught me some tips on how to, if I wanted to do it myself. You know, he was full. He was slammed full of deer. He didn't have any more room to hang one. Uh, he said, man, he's like, if you really want to do it, he's like, if you can get your hands on a grinder and a couple of knives and a saw, he's like, I'll run you in here and I can show you how to do a basic cut up real quick. And he did to me and showed me. Uh, now, as times went on, I've got my own equipment. I still take my deer down there to him to hang them for a week just to, you know, kind of a thank you for helping me. So I still pay him to hang my deer and I go pick him up and bring him back for processing whenever I'm ready to do it. So build that rapport with a guy for a couple years, and maybe they'll teach you how to do it on yourself. Um, and there's other little treats that you can get, uh, and you can ask these guys to make you snack sticks, jerky. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, this is stuff that I made last year. I've got some Italian sausage that I made, uh, summer sausages, hot dogs, Got it. I've got a couple of those racks of uh, rack of ribs in there that has a tenderloin attached, so I can do a nice presentation style. There's all kinds of things you can do with the deer with venison, and they can do that. It's, it costs extra to have this stuff done, but man, I've actually taken a whole doe that I shot to weigh to after I field dress it. The whole doe probably weighed 90 pounds, so on that you're probably gonna get about 45 pounds of meat. And I had the whole deer turned into jerky. One of the best decisions I ever made. I had deer jerky for almost a almost a, almost six months, I would say. So, you know, these guys they can guide you, and you can learn of what you want your cut. Once you learn what you like, you be able to go down there and 
if you see the same guy, hell, he might even already know what you want. He's like, here's your tag, just put your name on it, I'll get your package ready, I'll call you in a week. So make sure that you learn to communicate with these guys down there at the uh, processing station and get to know them and really help you really help you out. And they may do other stuff too. They may do farm animals. They may, during the summertime, they may do chicken cuttings. They may do hogs, lambs, stuff like that. So if you get in with them, they may call you whenever they do that kind of stuff. Say, hey, I got some of this stuff available if you want it. So like I said, build that good rapport with those guys. But as far as that's kind of a real brief introduction to your first year hunting or your first season, how to really try to break into it, kind of breaking it down from, you know, going with somebody for the first time, what to buy. And all the way through killing your first deer. I probably left a whole lot of stuff out. I'm not going to lie. But it's uh, that's just one of those things that just a very, very basic bones to it. And if you have any questions you want to get up, ask me, what should I do? Just send me an email. This is bottomdollaroutdoors at gmail.com. And I can help you out in any way that I can. Just not give you any advice. I can always point. If I don't know it, I will point you in the right direction to somebody who does. I know a lot of people at hunt, a lot of people who do different things as far as tracking and processing. And if you want to learn these things, I can point you in the right direction. But as far as being a new hunter goes, I want to tell you about the first <laughs> kind of a, this is be our, our outhouse segment for today. I want to tell you about the first deer I ever shot at. I believe I was five years old. My grandfather had gotten me a well, 410 shotgun. I might have been six. I was five or six years old now. I think I was six. But anyway, besides the point, we went and he bought me his little 410 shotgun. And he took me. We had a hunting club that we were involved in here not too far from the house. And uh, so we go... And there's a food plot that's built into the... Basically, they plowed the road up there on the, the trail and planted it with soybeans and some different grasses and cowpeas. And so we're sitting where we can see down this road. You know, my grandpa's thinking, you know, a little small buck may walk out there on the road or something like that. Well, we're sitting there. And we we hear a deer coming behind us. So I'm sitting there and I get turned around. I get get ready and uh grandpa I don't know if he didn't say it. He says he told me to wait. I don't remember hearing it. I just cocked that 410 back, put it on him and I let her rip. And the deer took off up the hill and I could just hear my grandpa just ugh. And he didn't say nothing much else. So we got up and we went over there and looked. And when we got over where it was standing, all of a sudden we heard another gunshot. Boom! About, you know, a couple hundred yards away. So we get up and we go uh, go over and look. We don't find any blood. We don't find any hair. We don't find nothing. We couldn't even really tell where he was standing at. I mean, he just took off up the woods. So we go and we sit back down. It's about another hour and a half before dark. He said, well, let's sit here. We'll wait. 
and give it time to to die. He tried to keep encouraging me that I hit it and that we'll just kind of we're gonna wait for it. I'm I'm distraught. I don't know what to do. Like I'm six years old. I'm freaking the hell out. I'm shaking, carrying on buck fever. I mean, I'm literally da, 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 da. like these videos you see of kids on YouTube or they're just sitting there and they're shaking. This is what I did. And I'm just sitting there. Well, finally I get calmed down and we getting ready to leave. And well, we run into one of the other hunters there. And he asked my grandpa, he's like, he's like, I need you to come help me load this deer in the truck. He had his little girl there with him who was about 12 years old at the time. He's like, she just shot a monster. And I can't get it in the truck. So we go up there and help him up, help him go up there to help him or whatever. And I could just hear it in my grandpa's voice. He's like, this is the deer you just shot at. And this deer was a, I don't remember how many points or whatever this deer was, but I do remember it did have uh, two drop tines on it. It was huge. Deer weighed over 200 pounds. And his daughter shot it with a thirty thirty up here on top of the hill. Uh, my grandpa, first thing he did is he rolled it over over on each side, looking to see if it had two bullet holes in it. I missed that deer plain as day. I ain't never touched it. And uh, it was it was a huge, huge deer. Oh, it was a huge deer. Matter of fact, I've, I've seen pictures of it since. The gentleman, he sent me a picture of it. He's like, don't you wish you killed this thing? And that's... Man, that's been a long, long time ago, and it's still to this day kind of irks me. But it was, it was a huge, huge, huge deer, and that's one of those things. Um, especially being that young, <laughs> you, you know, you get excited and you, you don't really pay attention to what you're doing. And basically, I just pop shot at this big old bug. Didn't even I didn't realize how big he was. I was only six, and. I almost didn't want to go back hunting again. It made me sick. And my grandma my grandpa were kind of mad because, you know, he always talked about how good of a shot I was and all this stuff at such a young age. So he made me take a gun out. He made me bring that gun out there. And he put a, uh, a it was a Bilo brand spread bucket, like a butter spread bucket. And he put it out there at about 30 yards. And he told me, he said, "If he said I want you to shoot this thing three times, he said if you don't hit it three times, I'm not taking you back with a gun until next year." So I sat there, and he gave me the gun. He gave me three bullets, and I shot it and hit it the first time. It bounced around. I I hit it all three times, and he said, "From now on." He's like, if you miss a deer, he's like, I'm not taking you back till the following year. So we went back. This was just a couple of weeks later. We went to another area. And there was a little button buck walked out. And shot him right through the neck with the same gun. Six years old. And, you know, you think about things, as, you know, Thanksgiving, yesterday was Thanksgiving. You think of things that you were thankful for. I was so happy to have killed that little deer. I was so proud of it. But I'm kind of, I'm very thankful that I did not kill that big buck that first day. First time I've been hunting with my own gun. I'm actually very, very thankful that I didn't. 
because I believe that it would have set a standard for me that I could possibly, as big as that deer is, yeah, I could. Have, it's in the state record books here in South Carolina. It would set a standard that I possibly could have never surpassed again and would have been like, well, I've already got my big buck. Why do I need to go back? Gave me nothing to work for. So in a way, I am very thankful that I didn't kill that deer then. And I'm also thankful that I was able to hit that damn butter bucket three times or I wouldn't ever win again that year and wouldn't be able to kill the little button buck. But yeah, uh, I remember I was, uh, like I said, I was six years old, but I remember what I, I was wearing black jogging suit and tennis shoes. <laughs> when I had a mullet, man, I had a mullet that people at Billy Ray Cyrus would have killed for. Blonde, man, could have killed him. Be sitting up in the back of that truck, that Toyota truck holding that deer and that little gun, man. I'll have to, I wish I could, I need to find that picture and upload it to the web or to the website. But I was so proud of that. And I still am to this day. And I'm really thankful as far as when it comes to getting outside for not only my papa, but my dad. My dad has taught me a lot. And I've hunted with him many, many times. Uh, my my other grandpa, he, he took me fishing when he could. And for my other grandpa, I have three. Actually, I had four, but got three now. And he let me, you know, hunt on his property down there. He never took me hunting, but he let me go and he'd go sit in the truck and do whatever he does while I fished and done stuff around the farm. So I'm thankful to all of them. Um, and, man, it's just been a, a wonderful journey. And that's just, I know it's kind of, Thanksgiving's over, but I really am thankful for that, and I wanted to share that with everyone. But I did make, uh, to wrap everything up for today, man, I hope everybody enjoyed that. I know it was kind of a thrown-together show tonight. It really was. I just really want to get something out there for y'all. It's been about, it's been over a month since I got you guys something out there, and I kind of miss talking to you, miss hearing from everybody on social media, which we're not doing anymore, so if you want to reach out to me, Email me, bottomdollaroutdoors at gmail.com. You can go to the Bottom Dollar Outdoors website, uh, bottomdollaroutdoors.com. You can see everything there that I post as far as new pictures and things going on. You can find all the other podcast shows there. You can find me, still find me on YouTube. I haven't done away with YouTube yet. It's still going. Haven't made a decision on that one. But it's uh, youtube.com slash bottomdollaroutdoors podcast. I changed the name. So it's Bottom Dollar Outdoors Podcast now. Um, I think the website is still YouTube.com slash Bottom Dollar Outdoors. And we're no longer on Twitter. We're no longer on Facebook. So hit me up. uh, Send me an email. Guys, I really hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Like I said, I made a a promise to myself to do 100 episodes of this to see how things go. I'm still improving the technique as far as this go. I actually downloaded a or joined a site called lynda.com, which is really going to help me as far as they have a lot of videos of using the software and the hardware and things like that to get a better production out there to you guys. So I'm doing that to kind of make a better show for you. And I'm actually going to pledge to make some more time to do these shows and make more videos 
some things are in the works as far as the branding goes. So still working on that. And hope to talk to you guys again soon. Hopefully get another show out before before Christmas, maybe two if I can. But if I don't get the cut back again, I hope you all have wonderful Christmas and happy holidays. And we'll see you guys again here soon. God bless you and God bless the United States of America.